You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. All right. Well, let's let's go to the book of Joshua again. We're, we're still in those chapters 16 and 17. We're going to look at a few parts of them. So if you turn to Joshua in your own word of God that you have before you, Joshua 17, I'm going to be reading in verses 14 to the end. Last week we looked at some parts. This week we're going to look at a few more parts, kind of a became a two-part series here, Joshua 17, 14. On your way there, Keegan turned in a picture to me last week. Keegan's picture wraps up what we talked about last week. Uh, you can see the, yeah, you can see it both up there. It comes out really good. Keegan's got, we talked about Jesus Christ, our inheritance, transferring us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of Jesus Christ in light. Keegan, thank you. You brought that together here, and there's that transfer that he brought out. So I appreciate him doing that. All right, well, let's look in the Word of God then at Joshua 17. I hope you're there in verse 14. I want you to follow along in in the Word so you can see this. Um, And let's read God's Word together. Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, although I am a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me? Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest, and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The people of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us, yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron, both those in Beth Shean and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron and though they are strong. Let's pray again. Lord, your word tells us you are the God of our salvation. That means, Lord, we have salvation and no other. There's no other name given among men by which we are saved. The name of Jesus saves. You're our salvation. We thank you for that. And, Lord, in you we can trust. We cannot be afraid. Lord, you're our strength and our song. And, Lord, you've become our salvation. Father, may we be strengthened in who you are as we study this passage in Joshua today. May we sing of you greatly in our lives. May our lives, in a figurative way, sing your glory because of who you are and what you're doing in your often, very often, insufficient people for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. May you be gracious by your spirit and lead us to understand your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said last week, we were in Joshua 16, 17, part of these chapters dealing with Ephraim and Manasseh, these sons of Joseph, those two Ephraim, Manasseh, and their boundaries, and that, that, that phrase, kind of that repeated phrase, they did not drive out the Canaanites. They allowed a threat to remain in their inheritance that would ultimately take them away from their God. We saw in Judges 2 then, kind of 
years later, Israel ends up abandoning, it says in Judges 2, the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. So we made a connection there, a connection to that of threats to our own inheritance in Christ, a beautiful inheritance that we looked at. Keegan drew up here, Colossians. We've been delivered from that domain of darkness, transported, transferred to the kingdom of Jesus, that kingdom of light. And yet in that same book of Colossians, Paul later on says this in chapter 3, put to death, therefore, he's calling to believe, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so we face a threat of what will rule our heart. That's our threat. But, but our need, our need it, it's bigger than simply and purposefully abandoning sin in our lives. I'm just going to abandon. Today's the day. I'm finally going to beat it. I'm going to defeat this. It's, it's bigger than that. And we need, let it be said, we need God's mercy by his indwelling spirit to conquer remaining sin in our lives until we're transformed, until we're made truly in the likeness of Christ. We're growing there. We're already there. We're not yet there, that idea. And that by his grace, he would give us eyes to see the joy of Jesus, the joy of him as being better than any pleasures of sin. We might think, oh, that looks really good, that we'd have eyes to see him more. So all that being said, with a little review, we're going back to Joshua 17. We've read these verses. We're going to look at really two separate stories, if you will, narratives within these boundary lines and places. We're not really, we'll hear a little bit of the places today, but we're thinking of these two kind of storylines. One is right here that we've read, uh, 14 through 18. Then the other is these daughters of Zelophehad. All right, it's just a hard name to pronounce, but we'll get through it. We're going to look at them as well and see what we can glean from that. So, so in chapter 16, 1 through 4, we've, we've been introduced to the people of Joseph. That kind of begins us there, their boundary. And now at the end of the chapter, here we come back again to the people of Joseph. And it seems these two are sort of bookends to the chapter. I, I think think there's some narrative, there's some literary things going on with the beginning, chapter 16, people of Joseph, end of 17, people of Joseph, and in the middle are these boundaries. In the middle, there's, uh, they couldn't drive out the Canaanites that we looked at. Uh, there's this account here that we're going to read about these people that are saying the hill country is not enough for us. And then lastly, I, I believe it narrows and brings us into these daughters of Zelophehad. And so we'll look at them as well. So let's start here. At verse 14, let me read it again. The, then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, although I am a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me? What are they essentially saying here? They're, they're saying we, we are a numerous people. We're a blessed people. But this particular lot does not work for us. It's too small, perhaps. Or in other words... This inheritance we have been given is a mistake. Something's gone wrong here. Maybe you can relate as we just glean kind of back and forth scripture. What about our lives? Maybe you can relate. I'm here in life. This is where I'm at. 
and I thought I would be there. I'm here, and I thought there would be where I would be. Or this is my situation, and it doesn't seem to be blessed at all. Maybe it's your health, or marriage, or kids, or your work, or where you live, or what friends you have or you don't have. Just where you are in life does not match up with where you think you should be. So where you are, it's not where I think I should be. Let's keep going in this passage. Look at verse 15 then. Here's what verse 15 says. Joshua responds to them. Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. Joshua's saying to them, his response, if you're numerous, if you're blessed, then go. Go cut down the forest and make your usable land bigger. And I think there's the idea here of living within your inheritance, the, the inheritance that God has given to them. Th- this is your land, Ephraim and asked the people of Joseph, this is yours. It's not anybody else's. And he's simply calling them, go fill the land. Take down what trees you must and go live there. How do they respond? Oh, great words, Joshua. We love that. Well, look at verse 16. The people of Joseph said, the hill country is not enough for us. Yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron, both those in Beth Shean and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel. And so now it seems we get to the real issue here. There are strong enemies here, chariots of iron. No, Joshua, this land will just not do. I think you could read even between the lines here. Think of what they're saying. Joshua, give us some other land, not this land. We, We don't like our lot. Give us something different. The chariots are just too strong. The forest is too hard to cut down. So it seems their unspoken motive here is some other land, some other allotment, something easier that they might have. One commentator, Matthew Henry, and you can get his commentary anywhere. It's free online. He brings out something really interesting, and it's from the book of Jude. You don't have to turn there. I'm just using a couple words from Jude. But he brings out this from Jude. There's just one chapter in Jude, so it's verse 16. Judas speaking in the New Testament, speaking of the ungodly and their, their deeds of ungodliness. Okay, so he's talking about the ungodly, the ungodliness, and he says of them, these are grumblers and malcontents. The King James calls them complainers. Now listen what Henry looks at. The word for complainers in Jude 16 is, the Greek word is mempisamoipoi. I'll only try it once. But here's what he's saying it means. Those people that are complainers are, quote-unquote, blamers of their lot. You ever think of a complainer as being one who is a blamer of their lot? So you can tell your kids, quit complaining or quit blaming your lot. You could use the same phrasing there if you want to. It's fascinating. So someone who's a grumbler, a malcontent, a complainer, is one who blames their lot. That's what we see going on here, I believe. The people of Joseph, they're really telling God. Remember God, Proverbs 16, he determines the decision of every lot cast, where it is, this sort of thing. 
They're saying he's in error. This lot is, is not right. It's not where we're supposed to be. Surely something would be better. A different circumstance would be better. To summarize, they're saying the Lord's blessed me, yet, yet they're blind, right? They talk about we're a blessed people. They're blind to walking forward in their lot by faith in the God who had given this lot to them. They saw their problem kind of horizontally. They saw what their problem was. It was maybe overcrowding. It was a forest. We've got to cut that down. It was chariots that look really strong. And I don't know if they were, they were cast in iron or they had the things sticking out, maybe we think of, that, that would just decimate a, an infantry force. Whatever it was, they were strong. And they were looking at that horizontally, and they did not see the solution vertically, the powerful God in whom they were called out as his children. Blind to that. So it would seem. So Joshua responds then in the last two verses. Verse 17, Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest farthest borders. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron and though they are strong. Now, just where this particular, if you're into geography, where this hill country is, I'm not sure. I'm inclined to say it's to the north. There's I put more maps out in the back. If you want a map, it's, it's, uh, I think it's to the north towards what's called the Valley of Jezreel. If you think of Sea of Galilee, maybe a little south of that, there's that valley kind of heading out uh, westward towards the, towards the Mediterranean Sea. Kind of just south of that, maybe the, the northern part of this. Perhaps that's the forest, that's this area. And I, I don't think here Joshua says, you know, you shall not have one allotment only. I, I don't think he's kind of capitulating, kind of saying, okay, guys, you've complained enough, I'll give you more. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's saying your lot is plenty large. It's enough. It, it just involves hacking down a forest and going to defeat some chariots made of iron. But then again, remember, and this is kind of the book, remember, what are some trees and chariots when the God of all creation and all power is your God? What are some chariots and a forest of trees? I think we can glean two things here. This idea of living within your God-given inheritance. Two things. Um, One is to be content in your lot. Be content in your lot. Your lot, your place, be it a place of suffering, or hardship. It's not a place of ease or luxury. God has placed you just where you are to glorify him in that place. No matter where you live, what you have or don't have, where you thought you would be in life, is to live joyfully in what God has given you in Christ, both presently and then with your future hope. The words of Paul, Philippians 4, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know, Paul says, how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, whether there's a big forest, there's iron-looking chariots, whatever, 
Any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And th- you guys know how this ends. I can do all things. And it doesn't just end with a period. I can do this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's the God over iron chariots and forests. That's number one. Be content in your lot. Number two, number two is to tackle hard things, hard lots with God's power. As God is stronger than iron chariots, he too, he's stronger than any remaining sin in our lives. He's stronger than what Satan may bring our way, or he's stronger than our present circumstance. Just listen to one example of that from 1 Corinthians 10 in the face of temptation. Here's what it says. Think of the temptation we face, thinking, are we on, are we on our own here with this temptation? Here's what Paul then would say. Therefore, God's word, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Then it says these words, God is faithful. It doesn't say you're going to be faithful. It says God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We can tackle hard things, endure hard places, fight threats to sin with God's power. All right, we haven't forgotten about those daughters of Zelophehad, so let's go there then. Let's look at them briefly and try to figure out what are they doing here, okay? So look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 17. That's where we're going to start. We didn't cover that, so here's kind of just going into the daughters. Let me read this here. It says in Joshua 17:1, Then allotment was made to the people of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, to Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, were allotted Gilead and Bashan, because he was a man of war. And allotments were made to the rest of the people of Manasseh by their clans, Abiezer, Halek, Asriel, Shechem, Hefer, and Shemida. These were the male descendants of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, by their clans. So Machir here, the firstborn of Manasseh, already has this land east of the Jordan. We've looked at that already. So think of the Jordan cutting through Israel, the land east of that. It's Machir, kind of this northern section of that land, Gilead and Bashan. And then on the western side of that river cutting north and south is given to these sons, these clans listed out. And, And they're called the male descendants of Manasseh, which leads us into the contrast of these daughters coming. And so verses 3 through 6, then, they're going to introduce something different. Female descendants of Zelophehad, who had, this guy had no sons, he had only daughters. What's going to happen to their inheritance? Will it remain with no male descendants? Now, before I read these verses, a little background. You may, in your Bible reading, you may have seen these come up. So a little context of these daughters of Zelophehad that we're going to read about here. This whole scene has its origins back in Numbers 27. Numbers chapter 27. Um, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. I'll read a little bit here. But before heading into the promised land, a census is taken, taken of all the clans and families of Israel. And, and among 
this list, the land was to be divided. So there's the census of everybody, and it's kind of figuring out how we're going to divide the land. It's in that context that drawing near comes these daughters of Zelophehad, who stood before Moses at that point, and Eleazar. So Eleazar's still around. Moses died before entering the promised land. And they're before the chiefs, all the congregation, and they make their plea, which is basically their plea. These daughters come before this, this leadership group, make a plea, saying, our, our father died in the wilderness and he had no sons. If we don't get a possession among our father's brothers, his name will be lost. And in effect, his share of the inheritance of the land would be lost. So there's a part of the inheritance it's going to be lost because he had none of these male descendants. And so Moses inquires of the Lord. He asks the Lord what to do. And here's the Lord's response. The Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. So way back in Numbers, this command is put forward by God himself. This is important. Just remember that. These daughters shall have an inheritance. Now, Joshua 17, look at verse 3. I'll just read the, the paragraph here. Now, Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mahlah, Noah, Chagla, Milcah, and Terzah. They approached Eliezer, the priest, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and the leaders, and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. That's their plea. Now verse, well, let's see. Yeah, there it is, midway. So according to the mouth of the Lord, he, and I'm not sure, is it Joshua or Eliezer, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. Thus there fell to Manasseh ten portions besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which is on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance along with his sons. The land of Gilead was allotted to the rest of the people of Manasseh. Here's what one commentator, Bruce Walke, states here. Like Caleb, now you remember Caleb who said, remember this land, Hebron, Debir, I believe it was. He's, he's going to go, remember, I was given this. He says, like Caleb, these daughters appealed by faith in the Lord's promise to those administering the distribution of the land to give them their rights. I think it's a fitting way that Walkie describes this. By faith, these daughters trust. You catch that in there? It's, kind of, it's subtle. We've got to read. They're trusting in God's promise of long ago that they too, though they're female heirs, they're going to be rightful heirs of the land. And so I think here there is a principle in relation to the idea of inheritance. It's a principle here. It's the principle of trusting in the promises of God's word. All of God's word is trustworthy. It holds fast forever. Here the daughters, they appeal to God's word from the time of Moses, 
and they're given the inheritance according to the mouth of the Lord. God's promise, His very word, it's the, it's the anchor of the inheritance for these daughters and so too for us as well. Think about what God has promised in his word. What are all the promises? That, and what he has spoken, we read about. What he has spoken will come to pass. He will do it. Here's some. Just think of these things from God word, God's word, promises. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And what are the scriptures? They're God's word. He died according to God's word, you could say. And that he, Christ, was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures or God's word. Our inheritance in Christ, our life in Christ, it cannot be anchored in our experience or our feelings or our doing good enough or even our faithfulness. Our inheritance, our life in Christ, it's anchored only in Christ and that anchor is found in his word. Following that? That's what 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22 says. Speaking of Jesus. Why don't we turn there? Take a minute. Let's go there. I want you to see this in the word. We've, I've mentioned enough. I want you to see it from your scriptures. So head to 2 Corinthians 1, and then we'll draw some principles here. But 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. I hope you've got some plan you're going through the Word. I, I just love how um, th- this two-year Bible plan, I, it's just, um, it becomes part of my sermon preparation, where we're at. I think we've, we've read this this past week, I believe, how fitting these things just come in here. Um, but 2 Corinthians 1, just verse 20, is where I'll start here. And it says this, Paul says this, speaking of Jesus, I'll just read 20 through 22. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. We can trust him. And then verse 21. Look at this, just how God-centered this is on our life and our inheritance. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put a seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Great words of promise. And we go, well, how do I know God will keep his word? Because we know Christ. All their promises are yes in Christ. Do you know him? Have you come to him? Are you trusting in him? Say, Lord, save me. I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. So we're finding here, think of Joshua again, three takeaways. I think three principles all related to our inheritance in Christ stemming from this passage both last week and this week. So I want to just list out those three. Number one, so three takeaways. Number one kind of deals with last week. Defend your God-given inheritance. Defend your God-given inheritance. Don't allow barbs and threats and really sin to fester and grow and crowd out your love for God with a love for other things. To be watchful. Guys, we think of this from our study Wednesday. Be on guard. 
Deal with sin quickly. Drive it out by the power of God that's at work in you. It's made possible by the gospel of Christ who's indwelling spirit. Right? When we face temptation, he empowers us. He provides a way out. Remember these words, there is now no condemnation right, for those in Christ Jesus. There's victory in Jesus, the gospel says. And we can look to the cross where our sins, our punishment, every sin is nailed and where Jesus suffered and died that you might live for him. Don't live without the gospel. Don't try to live and do better. And we're so prone to do this. The next day, I'm going to do it better. And we forget, no, he's done it all. He's done it the best. We're in Christ. There's no condemnation. Therefore, I can go forward. Lord, strengthen me. Empower me for this. So defend what you already have in Christ. Number two, live within your God-given inheritance. That's what we looked at at the, at the end of chapter 17 as we started out. Live within your God-given inheritance. Be content where God has placed you in the situation you're in. The circumstances, the trials bloom where you are planted. So the saying goes. And if you find you are living in a land of sin, and you've run from God, what do you do in that land? You repent and you return through God's grace by the power of Christ in you, your Savior. Go cut down forests by the strength of the Lord. If you face strong, iron-clad chariots with God's strength. So live within your God-given inheritance. And then lastly, what we looked at with these daughters. What's the anchor? What's the anchor of your God-given inheritance? Let's say Christ is the anchor. Christ through God's word. We learn about Christ through his word. All the promises of God are sure. His word says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. His word, like them trusting the words of God from before, they say we who have received Christ are children of God. That's what it says. His word says he's given his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We read that in 2 Corinthians. Colossians, his word says he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The anchor of your inheritance, God's word. Do you know the anchor? Do you know his word? Be in it. Are you in a place you didn't think you'd be? Be content, trust in the Lord for where you're at. And then defend, look for threats, be watchful by the grace of God. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm just going to assume there's some of us in each category today. Some of us, as we talked about last week, that need to defend what they have, what they already have in Christ that there are threats going on to that fellowship with you. We are to love you. Those that love you, obey your commandments with delight, and there are times where there's not delight. And so I pray, Lord, you'd help them to defend, Lord, to fight uh, that sin by your power in their lives. Lord, there's some that are struggling with the lot Maybe some struggling with complaining, Lord, wrong lot, wrong place. Father, strengthen them to live within the lot, the place, the boundaries you have set 
And may they say, my God is good. And I will trust him. And in the suffering, I will trust him. And in this circumstance, I will trust him. That they would trust you, O Lord. And Lord, they would go forth and see iron chariots and forests to cut down, not in their own strength, but by the strength of the God who goes before them. And Father, we all need to anchor our lives in your word. I'm thankful, Lord, we get the opportunity every week to come here and to read your word, whether we understand some of these boundaries and places or not. But Lord, it's your word. All of it is God-breathed for us, for our instruction, for our rebuke, for our correction, that we may be thoroughly equipped. So Lord, equip us with your promises this week. May we hang on and be anchored, not in what the world might say, oh, this will anchor you, this will be good. Lord, may we be anchored in your word and ultimately as that word leads us to Christ Jesus anchored on the cross and what he has done on his victory. May we give you all the praise in that, Lord. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.